16 years old, the first time I came to the Cleveland Baptist Church, our youth group came down to go to uh, Cedar Point. And uh, we slept here in the auditorium. The guys slept here in the auditorium, slept in one of the pews in the back there. And I remember I was in the auditorium all by myself. I was standing back in the, as we say in Canada, foyer. You say foyer, foyer. And uh, uh, I was standing there looking into this empty auditorium, saw the platform, and I stood as a 16-year-old boy and I said, Lord, if you would ever let me work in a place like this, I'll never ask you for another thing. Fast forward about five, six years, and I came on the staff of the Cleveland Baptist Church, and God answered my prayer to be able to work in a place like this. And I've asked him for many, many more things since then. But, uh, and he's graciously given me most of those. But uh, what an honor to be back and to be here tonight. And uh, when I was 16 years old, uh, I was taken over to a family's house. They entertained us uh, for the evening before we came and slept here. And that family introduced me to one of the greatest gifts of all time here from Cleveland, Ohio, Mr. Hero. Mm. The Roman burger. Oh, I love those things. They are terrible for you, but I love those. There's not hardly a time that I come that I don't get a Mr. Hero. I did not get one this time. I made tonight before I go. The other thing I was introduced to was the greatest ice cream in the world, Honey Hut. Honey Hut. If you don't like Honey Hut, you're not saved. Just plain and simple. That's the way it is. Greatest ice cream. I've told so many people about Honey Hut. I should be a spokesman for them. And I love, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this in the Canadian vernacular again. I love the Honey Pecan. Honey Pecan. It's not pecan. All right? Let me tell you that C-A-N spells can. The garbage con? No. The garbage can. All right? have to help you folks tonight. <laughs> honey pecan ice cream with the honey pecan sauce, with the, with the roasted, toasted, whatever those are, pecans on top, the big old dab of, of uh, whipped cream on top, that little cherry. It is so good. If you put that cup on top of your head, your tongue will beat you senseless trying to get at it. It's that good. So let me encourage you. So I'm not going to preach long tonight because they close at nine o'clock. So I'm getting out of here. All right. I don't want to sound unspiritual, but I got to get me some ice cream. So, and I know you'd like to get some too. What a beautiful weekend. The weather's been incredible. And that's just a little taste of what we're going to get for one more day. And then winter poof, is coming. All right. So get ready. It is coming. Let me take just a minute again to encourage you. If you have never been to Israel, could I encourage you to come with us? Israel 2024, February 6th through the 16th. You have a whole year to plan, a whole year to save. Uh, we're going to take you, probably get you a flight from here to Toronto. We'll fly together from Toronto on a Air Canada, uh, I think it's a 737 jet direct flight. Uh, you'll get in the airport. They'll give you something to eat on the airplane. You can go to sleep if you wish. We'll make the flight. You'll wake up in the morning. You will be in Tel Aviv. And the number one question I get from people across the United States, is it safe? Is it safe? If you stand behind me, there's no chance you're going to get shot, all right? This is a wide target, and uh, it's, you're safe. It is a very safe place. Both Israel and Arab want you to come to Israel. It is their livelihood. Tourism is their lifeblood. And very, very seldom, if ever at all, you will hear of a tourist being injured. If they are, they are in the wrong place at the wrong time. Let me tell you this, is that uh, Cleveland is a safe place. But there are some places in Cleveland I wouldn't go after 10 o'clock at night. It's not safe. 
And uh, so you have to be careful wherever you go. And we look after you. Our, our tour guides are constantly on the phone with other tour guides, with their offices. The bus drivers are constantly talking. I had one incident when we were there a number of years ago. There was trouble on the Temple Mount area. And we were scheduled to go there about 10 o'clock. And the, the guide said, hey, we're going we're gonna to move that till tomorrow. And I said, why? We're supposed to go today. I want to go today. He says, well, we're, we're going to go tomorrow. I think it'd be better. It might be a better day. I said, hey, what's going on? He said, well, there was some trouble up there. And it's, it's settled down now. But he says, I just don't want your people to see that. I don't want them to have to witness that. So we're going to wait and go tomorrow. So they're very cautious about that. And uh, we want to take you as many as we can. Uh, the bus will hold up to 58 people. We're willing to take that many. We're planning around 50, but uh, 58 people. And uh, just have a tremendous time. We're going to start out. We'll go to um, Tel Aviv. As I say, we'll go down the coast just a little bit to Caesarea by the sea. We'll see one of Herod's uh, tremendous fortresses that he built, the ruins of that. We'll see a hippodrome. If you don't know what that is, you have to come and find out what it is, a hippodrome. Uh, We're going to see how they brought water from uh, about seven kilometers, about uh, uh, four miles away, so that he could have fresh water in a pool that was in the ocean. He had a a freshwater pool in salt water. And uh, then we're going to go up uh, to Mount Caramel, the vineyard of God, Mount Carmel. And we're going to see where Elijah called down fire. We're going to see where that servant went up to the top of that mount and saw a cloud about the size of a man's hand. We're going to go to Megiddo and see where Ahab and Jezebel had their work, work their uh, wicked worship. We're going to go through Nazareth as we go through the Valley of Jezreel. And by the way, from Mount Carmel, you'll see the entire Valley of Jezreel, which is a great biblical site. That's where the uh, Battle of Armageddon is going to take place. You're going to see it. You see it. I'm standing here right now. How many of you have been to Israel? How many know what I'm talking about? Can you see it right now? Are you seeing it right now? You're seeing it, aren't you? You're looking out over, and you're seeing it. And when you read your Bible, and you hear those terms, you hear those places, you're going to see them in your mind's eye, and it's going to bring color to something that's black and white. Three days at the Sea of Galilee, which is absolutely gorgeous, staying in some beautiful hotels, buffet breakfast, buffet supper, uh, all you can eat, the bread and the cheese in uh, Israel, the hummus in Israel, the shawarma, the falafel, phenomenal food. We're going to do three, three days in the Sea of Galilee region. Then we're going to go down to the Dead Sea. You get to float in the Dead Sea, 10 times saltier than the ocean. Uh, if you wish, take a paper with you, a little pamphlet or something. Put your feet up in the air, and you're, you can sit up and read that in the water. It's almost impossible to sink. And believe me, I'm a stone. And the Bible says the stone is heavy. And I, and I float. I float. And uh, it's incredible. We get to do that, stay down there, gorgeous hotels down there. Then we go up to um, Masada. Uh, we go to Qumran, where they found the Dead Sea, Scroll, Dead sea Scrolls. We'll go to Engedi, where David cut off the, uh, the border of Saul's garment. And the caves there, we know he was there somewhere in that region. Then we go into the city of Jerusalem, spend the last four days. Everywhere we go, I tell people this, this was awesome. But the best is yet to come. The last thing you're going to see is an empty tomb. And man, it's awesome. I tell people, you're going to spend some money to see nothing, and it's the greatest nothing you've ever seen. Plan on coming with us, would you? Brother Tom will be giving you some information in the weeks to come. Get you to sign up for that and come with us. Again, if there's any kind of trouble, if there's any kind of sickness, uh, we've had to cancel before. We take care of you. You'll get your money refunded. We'll take care of that. So we realize in this day and age there can be some of those things. So I'll send that information along. There'll be some videos and things. But if you want to get a head start on it, you again can go to my website, alstone.ca. All the information is on there, and you can get a head start and register anytime that you wish to get your place. All right, let's take our Bibles tonight, if you would please, sooner, Daniel chapter 3. 
Daniel uh, chapter 3. How many young people, how many people in uh, senior high, uh, is camp uh, junior high, senior high? Is it junior high, senior high? How many junior high, senior high kids do we have here tonight? Raise your hand high in the air. I'm going to be with you at camp next year, 2023. We're going to have a great time going to Camp Kobiak, and we're going to have a blast. I've got a message prepared for you that I preached a few years ago. Your brothers and sisters may have heard of it. I'm going to preach on just a glimpse of hell, I believe, on Thursday night. Again, it's a very impactful message. Once you hear it, you will never forget it. How many of you were here when I preached that message a number of years ago at camp? Have you ever forgotten that message? You can still, you can still see it right now. You can hear it right now, can't you? You're scared right now, aren't you? Yeah, it's a great message, and uh, it'll touch your hearts. You come. Uh, we have a blast at camp. I, I'm not one of those camp, the camp guys that, you know, preach and then go to his room and hang out there. I'm going to be playing volleyball. I'm going to be going down the zip line. I'm going to be doing all the things you're doing, and I would love for you to come and be a part of that and uh, look forward to that opportunity. We had a great time in chapel this week, great time at HBI this week. The retreat was phenomenal, and I just love spending time with my home away from home here in Cleveland this week. God bless you for that. If you'll give me the next 30 minutes of your undivided attention, I believe this message will change the way that you look at the trials of life and how you pray forever. I believe it'll change your outlook on every difficult situation you must deal with. I believe it will give you a source of strength and power like you've never known. I hope to change all that with just three words, but if not, would you say that with me? But if not, one more time, nice and loud, but if not, let me ask you tonight, how many of you right now have a very serious or urgent prayer request. You have something going on in your life. You just don't know what's going to happen. Maybe, maybe you're in the midst of a great medical uh, hardship. Uh, your job is maybe questionable. Uh, we see the coming. We believe a recession is going to hit. Uh, some people are going to lose their jobs. Money's going to get very tight. Gasoline out in California, I think this week, just went to $8 a gallon. Welcome to Canada. That's what it's been up there for a while. And uh, so those things are coming. Uh, you've got kids, maybe they're troubled, maybe they're away from the Lord, maybe your marriage is in trouble. You have, you have some kind of urgent prayer request or some urgent need in your life tonight. Would you hold your hand high into the air tonight, all over the auditorium? Raise them up, raise them up. Let me see them. God bless you. A great number of people. If you don't, you will. If you live life at any length, you are going to have some hardships and trials and difficulties if you've not already had them. If you get married, you're going to have troubles. If you have kids, you're going to have troubles. If you live in this flesh, you're going to have troubles. If you live in a country that is not serving the Lord Jesus Christ completely, you're going to have troubles. And so when those troubles come, we don't know what to do. We begin to pray. How many of us have prayed asking, believing that God is going to answer one way and almost the complete opposite happens? We just sang a great song. Ask and it shall be given to you. That's right, it will. But the answer that comes back may be, wait. It may be, no. It may be that God will answer that prayer and say yes and give it to you exactly as you prayed and that's happened to me many times. But I've also had times when God said, no, I can't give that to you yet. You're not ready for that. That's not the best thing for you. And so we pray and, and in those times of urgency, we think, well, God must love me and God must care for me. And, and so God is going to give me the, the exact answer to prayer that I'm praying for. He, he must do that. Well, God doesn't have to do that. Because God knows everything. God knows best. And we have to believe that and trust that. Or how many of us thought God was going to bless 
when in reality it seemed we were almost cursed in what we received. In both situations, it left us maybe confused. Why did God not whatever? Why didn't he give me that job? Why, why didn't he spare my child? Why didn't he give me the desires of my heart? Maybe we become troubled. Some people say, I'm just, just going to quit praying because God can't hear me anyways. I've got a young man that's sitting in prison tonight. And part of the reason why he's in prison, he said, I prayed and asked God for things. And God never answered my prayers. I never saw him answer my prayers. He did answer his prayers. I saw God answer his prayers. Not the way he wanted, but the way he needed. And we get troubled. And maybe with, with questions and concerns. Does God actually hear us? Does God actually care? Does God actually know me? If you haven't had those thoughts, you're in the minority. Even as preachers, listen, we got preachers here tonight. We'll tell you there are times as preachers, we pray, God, show me, I need to know. And God, we've got a great need. And God, we need to supply. And and God, we have troubles. And God doesn't necessarily seem to answer the way that we think he's going to answer. And as a pastor, there are times when you're you're almost troubled to think, is, is God going to intervene? Maybe even some have been angry with God. I know people that quit going to church because their wife died. God, I prayed and I begged you and I I told you I'd go to church if if you had just saved my wife and he didn't do it. So God doesn't care and I'm not going to church anymore. Get angry with God. Someone showed me this and it's changed my prayer life forever. Look with me if you would at Daniel chapter 3, verses 10 to 18. Before us tonight are three young men who are faced with a great difficulty. Probably one of the greatest that we might face in life. It's life or death. It says in verse 10, Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the provinces of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When I was a kid, we used to say Shadrach, Meshach, and into bed we go. (laughs) Abednego. These men, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy God, small g nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. I want to stop there for just a second, and I want you to notice, if you would, in verse 12, there are certain Jews. Shouldn't that have read all the Jews? (laughs) There were many in captivity, tens, hundreds of thousands in captivity. Certain Jews should have read all the Jews. None of the Jews are bowing down. None of the Jews are worshiping as you've commanded. These certain. Verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. It's giving them the second chance. 
I believe he cared for these men. I I believe he respected these men. I, I think he had high hopes for these men. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And then he says something so foolish. And who is that God, capital G, that shall deliver you out of my hands? Wow, that's brazen, isn't it? I'm more powerful than God. You better listen to me. (laughs) And then I love what these guys say. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, capital G, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Here it is. Say these next three words with me, would you? But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. We can't do it. We won't do it. We're determined. By the example of three extremely pious Israelites, by the example of three devout believers, by the example of these men who knew and believed in their and our God, may we be able to say as well, but if not. At some point in your life, you're going to be faced with a choice to serve our God or the gods of this world, the false gods of this world, the false leadership of this world. Some of you will remember Ira Brown. How many of you remember Ira Brown? He was a great man. Let me ask this. How many of you have been in this church for more than 30 years? Raise your hand. God bless you. That's, that's an unusual thing today. How many of you have been here more? Anybody been here more than 50 years? More than 50 years? Bruce and Joyce, 50 years. That's a long time. That's a long time. Brother Lively, 50 years. To be in the same church. That speaks well of a church, doesn't it? That speaks well of the succession of leadership in a church. That, that speaks of the body of the church. That speaks of the doctrine of the church. That, that speaks of the focus of the church. And, and you're going to go through life and, and somebody's going to say to you, hey, either you serve God or else. Ira Brown was a great man. He was the custodian at the school on Radone Road when I taught there as a young kid. Mr. Brown was an unusual man. For lunch, he had onion sandwiches. And everybody knew it. Everybody knew it. He'd eat those sandwiches. Woo! He'd come out. He's just a, just a good guy. Older gentleman. Man, he loved those kids. He had, a, he had a journal of names of every kid in that school. I think Sandra was just telling us the other day that she saw that journal. She saw her name written in that journal as a, as a sixth grader, grade six child. He was praying for her. She said, that made such an impact in my life. Many people never knew, but he prayed for the staff and he prayed for the kids. And he was a godly man who walked with God. And he worked here in Cleveland. He worked in a place. It was a, a, an organization that handled religious materials. And there were people that worked there that weren't saved. And Ira Brown was witnessing to them and giving them the gospel. And they said, either you stop or you lose your job. And he said this, I cannot stop telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior. They fired him. And he went on and lived a great life for Jesus Christ. We could almost include his name on the list. They didn't put him into a fiery furnace, but you know, that had to be a hardship when he went home and told his sweet wife, honey, I lost my job because I testified for Christ. 
There are some of you today who work in a place and HR has told you, you don't talk about Christ, you don't bring your Bible, you don't mention your God, you just come and do your work, you leave people alone, because if you talk about Jesus, you don't work here anymore. And you've had to make that kind of decision. Some of you stood in a hospital room and the doctor said, it looks like there's very little hope. You might as well just give up on your belief in your God and just trust in medicine. We were told the last number of years that medicine, science, had all the answers. The science was going to bring us through. And we found out the science doesn't always do that, does it? But we have something tonight that this world doesn't have. We have God. We got a great God. Got a mighty God, a powerful God. God who's told us, I do love you and I do care for you. I do want to give you the desires of your heart. And I do want to bless you. And I do want to prosper you. But there are times when God, as a good parent, must say, no, I can't do that. There are some kids here tonight. There's, there's a couple young men right down here. There's a young guy, two guys right here. Fellas, how old are you two guys right here? Yes, sir, in the gray shirt right there. How old are you? 13. How old's your brother? 11. Would you guys like to drive a car? Oh, yeah. If I could get a Tesla tonight and the keys and the three of us and go out somewhere, would you like to drive that car? It goes from zero to 60 in 1.3 seconds. It's amazing. It doesn't make any sound. You push the button, it's silent. You step on those, that gas pedal. I guess it's not gas, the battery pedal. Give me a 57 Chevy any day of the week. But we get that Tesla, we go out there, you'd love to get behind that wheel, push that thing down, squeal the tires, and go from zero to 61.3 seconds, wouldn't you? Well, forget it, it ain't gonna happen. You don't have a driver's license. You probably drive like your mother, so that's, that's, that's gonna rule that out right there. A- amen, 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 amen. Very sheepishly. You're not old enough. You haven't been trained. You don't know the rules of the road. But there'll come a day, there'll come a day when you're 16, 15, 16, you're going to learn how to drive. Mom and dad are going to get in the car. They're going to begin sweating profusely. They're going to watch the insurance climb, climb. You're going to get in that car. The scariest thing for a parent, when your kid drives off for the very first time without you in that car, it's a frightening thing. You're worried the whole time. But you're going to be able to do that. But you've got to wait. You've got to wait. These men were given a choice, either either serve the false gods and live or choose your God and die. Watch now the example that birthed, but if not. I believe those three godly men thought, number one, we will pray to be progressive. We will pray to be progressive. In verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make certain the king knows this is not off the cuff. We're not just throwing this out here. We've thought about this. We, we've given careful consideration to it. They say we are not careful to answer thee. When you first read that, it, it sounds like, well, they're not careful. To be, they are just being on. No, no, but if you study that out, they, they said, we knew this was coming. We, we could see it coming. When we saw that big thing going up, we knew what was coming. When we heard the chatter, we knew what was coming. We've been thinking about this. We've been talking about this. We have a prepared statement for this. We have no need to put thee in any further trouble. We have made up our minds on this subject and have an answer ready. Be it known unto thee, we will not serve thy gods. That was as honest as it was decisive. In verse 17, we see the natural prayer of most Christians. 
If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. This is, this is progressive. We, we, we see the situation. We, we've taken it before our God. And we believe with all of our hearts that our God can deliver us. And so we're going to pray that way. We're going to say, God, we know it's coming. We can see things happening around us. And we are praying now that you'll give us wisdom, that you'll give us courage, that you'll give us boldness, because we know that we're going to face something very traumatic in the next little bit. And God, we want you to help us. Nothing wrong with that. Every one of us should be praying those kind of prayers. Hey, in the next couple days, there is something very big coming before your nation. You're going to vote. And, and, and this nation is going to determine the direction in which this nation is going to go. Could I ask you, as a Canadian tonight, could I ask you, could I plead with you to please vote and vote what God would have you to vote? Because what happens here impacts us up there. $1.6 billion a day in trade between our two nations. Longest, really undefended border in the world. We don't need it. We're great friends. We're great neighbors. We're great, great allies. And so please, as you come to this, I hope you're praying, saying, God, your will be done. God, you show us. God, you help us. If you think about it, God has every right where our countries are at right now. Our, our God has every right to rain down fire and brimstone upon us. We, we've let our countries go so far. We, we've, we've been too silent too long. I, I think of the Joneses. Uh, I'm not sure if they're here tonight. They were here this morning. And uh, is Mr. and Mrs. Jones here tonight? Are they here? There they are, right in the front row. 50 years you went down to those abortion clinics and the hospitals? Was it 50 years you did that about that, something like that? Every Saturday going down there and praying and, and, and talking to girls and, and witnessing to people and, and talking to doctors and pleading with nurses. And it took 50 years for Roe versus Wade to be overturned. 50 years of prayer. Yes, sir. 32 years. 32 years. I was doing it in metrics, sorry. 50, 30 years. 32 years. That's still a long time. 32 years. Every, every weekend. And God finally heard their prayer. I'm sure there are times when you were out there thinking, God. We've been here for 30 years. We go for three weeks and we're like, well, God's not going to do anything. And there are other people that went with you and supported that. I, I went down there many times. And we wonder, God, do you hear us? God, this is life. This is the sanctity of life. And God finally said, after, after many events and many things, all right, I'm going to give you the desire of your heart. overturns that. Amazing. That's progressive when these men say, if it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. We want to live, and God can deliver us. You ever been sick to the place where you thought you were going to die? Some of you went through COVID and got very close to death. Many people did. I was just talking to Brother Kenny Baldwin, great black preacher, evangelist, and dear friend, and he was the first man in his county to get COVID, and he got sick, I mean, to the point where he thought he was going to die. He said, I told the Lord, I'm ready to come home. He lost a lot of weight. He was you know, in intensive care. He said, Lord, thy will be done. Ever been in that situation? I've been in the hospital two times in my life and laid there, and I said, God, I, 
I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to, I'm ready to see you. But God, I, I, I have some things I want to do. I want to finish reaching our nation with the gospel. I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see my grandkids come to know Christ as their Savior. God, there are some things I'd like to do. God, I, God I'm prepared. I, I'm ready. But if you'd let me have just a little more time, that's progressive. I always tell God in my prayer, Lord, my will, my heart on this is for this to happen, for you to supply my need, for you to heal me or heal them or, or protect someone or, or spare us in something or, or to bless. Many say, God, uh, bless my family. What does that mean? That means, God, you're going to take care of them and you're going you're to uh, protect them and help them and direct them and provide for them. It's a multitude of things. And many of us pray that, and there's nothing wrong with praying that because it's progressive. There's absolutely nothing wrong with asking those things. That is progressive prayer. And then we learn from our three guides that they, number two, they pray that we will proceed in the positive. We will proceed in the positive. Notice, if you will, the second part of verse 17. It says, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Not only can God uh, spare us this and take care of this, God can deliver us out of your hand. He can make it so that we don't have to worry about you. He can deliver us and make us free anytime he wants. God has put us here for a reason. God has allowed us to be in this foreign nation, in this foreign culture, eating this foreign food, wearing these foreign clothes for a reason. And I believe it's for perhaps this reason, one of these reasons that, that God could give to us this account. And God's going to maybe put you in some places sometimes where you didn't think you're going to go. Let me, let me tell you a little story about my wife, Ruthie. Most of you know Ruthie. Uh, Mrs. Ingle marks time by Ruthie. She started in the nursery the Sunday that my, uh, uh, my wife was born, February 2nd, 1964. And uh, so Ruthie uh, loves this church. She loves this church. She loved growing up here. She has such fond memories. She loved her mom and dad. She loved her sister and brother. Loved this church. And here this guy from Canada comes along and says, Hey, listen, honey, I love you. And I love this church, but God has called me to go back to Canada. And I've got to go because God has called me. There's a burning in my heart. And I pack her up and I move her to a foreign land. And in that foreign land, there are magazines that don't agree with the, the American government. And they, and they lash out at America. And they lash out at the American government. And, and, and there are people that, that criticize America and criticize the government and the politics. And, and there, she gave a ride home to an old man. It was pouring rain. He was in a park. It was pouring rain. She, he gets in by the car and he goes, oh, you're from the States. We saw the U.S. plates on. Oh, you're from the States. She goes, yes, I'm an American. I just moved up here with my husband. And it's pouring rain. She said, would you like a ride home? And he goes, oh, that would be great he gets in the car and he trashes the united states all the way home and she said you, you know i'm an american right i mean she had to live with that she had to go through that I, i'm sorry and i apologize and and i think it's wrong and i should never have done those things but she's in that land and she got to a, a place in her life where she said you know what have we made a mistake coming here why have you brought me here we could have stayed in cleveland you could have worked on staff and and you could have had a great life there and i said yes i could have but god called me here and we had a blowout one night. And I said to her, honey, I believe God's called us here. And I think you need to talk to the Lord. And if the Lord tells you that I'm wrong, and the Lord tells you that we should not be here, then I will, I will listen to that, and I'll pack the truck, and we will head back to Cleveland, and I'll live there the rest of my life. And she was crying and very serious, and she went upstairs, and she spent about an hour in prayer. It was our first New Year's Eve in Canada. 
I had to take a guy to the hospital, and she sat alone at home from 10 o'clock at night to 2 o'clock in the morning. At about 3 o'clock in the morning, she went upstairs, and she prayed for about an hour, and she came downstairs, and she said, Honey, I believe the Lord wants us to be here. Those are some of the sweetest words I ever heard, and I love her, and I admire her, and I thank her that she did that because God gave us a great ministry there. I'm telling you that there's going to be times in your life when you're going to be put in a situation where you don't think you should be there or you shouldn't have to be there or that it's wrong for you to be there, but God brought you there for a reason. There's perhaps giving Christ a reference for Matthew 10, 28, and fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. By, res- by restraint, these three Hebrew boys served, respected, and obeyed the king. But knowing the entire time that it was God who was really in control, knowing that it was God that had them there, knowing it was his will they lived for, and if needs be, would die for. Obey them which have the rule over you, but that rule should cross over and assert that which is God's alone. Then we must say as Peter, we ought to obey God rather than men. They said in this statement, we must obey God rather than you, king, rather than you as a man. I, we must hold to our principles. We must hold on to those things that we were taught as children. These young men going to Babylon, probably around 15, 16, 17 years of age, maybe a little bit older. That's a kid. That Most people have not grounded themselves at that time in life, but these young men had. They must have had incredible parents. They had a great training because here now they're living life. They've lived some life, and they come and they say, listen, what we were taught as a kid, what we've been holding on to for these many years, we must hold on to those things. Listen, some of you kids that are Heritage Christian School, you need to hold on to those things that your teachers are teaching you. You need to hold on to what your parents are telling you in your home. You need to hold on because you're going to come into a world one day that doesn't love you and doesn't care for you and wants to destroy you. And you're going to have to stand or wilt under their pressure. You better be able to say, oh, dear God, help me. Deliver me. But if not, you can only say those words if you know God. You can only say those words if you know that God has your interest at heart. You can only say those words if you have trusted in God and seen him supply in your life over and over and over again. O king, we will proceed in the positive. We know God, our God, the God is in control. And we believe by faith that he will deliver us with a power greater than yours. And then they utter those immortal, life-changing words in verse 18. But if not, our God, the God, but if not. Finally tonight, they said this, we will praise God for the palliative for those who are writing notes and have trouble spelling, I had some people this morning said, you can't use words like, what was it, lackadaisical. You can't use words like that and not spell them for us. So here it is, P-A-L-L-I-A-T-I-V-E, palliative. I know what palliative is. My mother-in-law and my mom are both in palliative care. It means to relieve or lessen without curing. My mom has Alzheimer's so bad, she never speaks, she doesn't recognize. We believe she's lost her sight, she can't see. My dad goes two times a day and feeds her. He says, every day I have a funeral twice a day. 
Her, my, my mom's name is Beatrice. Everybody calls her B. And he goes in. I've been there. It breaks my heart. I told you that my dad was a hard guy. He was a tough guy. But, man, I've seen him change. I've seen a complete change in him through this. And he goes in and he feeds her. He says, oh, B, would you just give me a kiss? Oh, B, if we could just embrace. Oh, B, you're my best friend and I love you. And he waits and there's no response. Sad. Sad. So they take good care of her. And they they try to keep her comfortable. And they bathe her and they help feed her and change her and all of those things. But she's never going to get any better. For the dying, we have palliative care, comfort for the passing These boys said, we ask and we believe that God will deliver us, but if not, that's okay. Because heaven awaits us, eternal life awaits us, and God and God's ways are always the perfect. Folks, when we get that, when we understand that we can pray and ask God, but sometimes we're going to have to go through those things. We are going to face death one day. We are all going to face it, and it's never going to be the way that we want. It's going to, it's going to be hard. We're going to get older. We're going to get slower. We're going to get sicker, and someday we're going to die. And we come to that place in life and say, God, I want to live forever. But you know what? We're not. <laughs> And when we face those things, and our family faces those things, we go to the hospital and the doctor says, I'm sorry, but it's cancer, that word that we hate to hear. It's cancer. We think, oh, God, help us. Please, God, help us now. God, we'll live for you now. God, we'll surrender to you now. God, we'll do anything now. Just just save this loved one. There are times when God says, no, I'm sorry, it's time. It's time. There's no cure. It's time to go. When we get the fact that God's way is perfect and he wants what's best. And in the end, if you think about this, in the end, if we're saved, we go to heaven. And when we get to heaven, nothing of this life matters. Do you ever think about that? I was driving down the road one day and, and I heard a news report. Some girls had been brutally raped and murdered and some kids were starving in another part of the world. And. And a lady was abused and just, oh, bad news after bad news. And I said, Lord, when I get to heaven, I have got some questions for you. Why do you allow some of those things to happen? Why does that have to happen? Why, why hasn't my mom gone home to be at the Lord? What kind of existence is she living? God, I've got some questions. And the Holy Spirit almost immediately spoke to me and said this. When you get to heaven, it won't matter anymore. None of this will matter. The outcome of the election won't matter. The president or prime minister won't matter. The war in Ukraine won't matter. It's important to us now and we have to attend to it now. But in the end, it doesn't matter. When we all get to heaven, when we're with Jesus Christ and we're singing the anthems of the heaven, our God reigns. Do we believe that? Do we trust that? If we do, then when we pray and say, God, here's my will, here's my desire. I learned this going to the hospital because I've been with preachers. And I said, oh, God, raise up this one. We believe you will. And we trust that you will. We have all hope that you will. And, God, we know that you will. And then that person dies. And that family is mortified. But, preacher, you prayed. So I've learned to pray this. God, our will is this. But thy will be done. Thy will be done. Because, God, we love you, we trust you, we know you. And though we don't get it and it's going to be a hardship, we trust you. 
I wonder tonight if we could try and see if we get that. I'm going to say a phrase tonight, and then at the end of that phrase, I want you to say those three words, but if not. All right? I'm going to say this first phrase, and then I want you collectively to say, but if not. See if it works, all right? God, I want to be healed. You're laying in the hospital, and you're sick, and the news is, I was with Brother Paul and his wife, he's got bone cancer. Prayer request came in today for him. He said, I'm getting my, my life in order because I don't know. I don't know how much time I got. And so I'm getting ready. And we had a great frank talk. Brother Bruce and I went over and great, great conversation. Talked about the Lord. Man, he loves the Lord and he's trusting in the Lord. But he said, you know, I, I realize that I'm probably not, not going to live much longer and Lord, unless the Lord intervenes. And he was all right with that. How about this one? God, please supply. God, give me this job. God, change this situation. The last one. God, I hope to see. But if not, I hope to see a change. I hope to see this happen. I hope to see resolve. But if not, now let me ask you. What are you praying for today? Many of you raised your hands that I've got a serious prayer request. I've got a situation in my life. I've got something going on right now. If you don't have one, you're going to. What are you praying for right now? And are you prepared to say, but if not? Oh, God, please, I'm begging you, and, I'm, and I believe, and I trust, and, and I know. But if not, that doesn't mean we doubt God. That doesn't mean we, we underestimate our God. It just gives allowance for God to do something special in our lives that we can't see. I'd like to invite you to do this. I'd like to set some free tonight with just three words, but if not, I invite every single person here to take to God your needs tonight, your requests, your hope tonight. I I invite you to pray, believing, trusting, and then in closing say, but if not, but if not, Pastor, if I could tonight, I'm going to do something a little bit different. I've done this before and it's worked well. I'm going to have the pianist come and in a moment we're going to stand to our feet. In just a moment. And in a moment we're going to stand and and at that time I'm going to invite you to come and pray tonight. I'm going to invite you to come to the front of the church and pray if you would like to do that tonight. If you don't feel comfortable in doing that or you don't feel you need to do that, would you at least do this? Would you stand and in the place where you are standing, would you pray tonight and say, God, I have a need tonight and here it is. And God, here's my heart, here's my will, here's my desire. And then close that prayer with, but God, if not. And know that it's okay. When you're done praying tonight, I'm going to ask you to be seated. And when a good number of people are seated, I'm going to ask Pastor to come and close the invitation any way that he would like to do that. It will give you an opportunity to stand and take some time and collectively pray, or you can kneel where you're at and pray. But could we all just take some time tonight and say, God, I do have a situation in my life. As he was preaching, I thought of some things. As he spoke, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. And let's take some time tonight to utter those words. God, I need you. I trust you. And this is my my heart's desire. But if not, it's okay. Because I love you.